Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Mysterious Circumstances Podcast. I have a very, very special guest on with me right now. And this is something that I don't normally do. I mean, I do, but I don't. I got hit up in in an email and it's like, hey, you know, we're doing some interviews with some authors. And I saw this book and I was like, I want to talk to that guy because I am super, super curious. I'm here with Gary Simmons. He wrote a book called Death Pale Flag, and why I found it so interesting is because it combines uh, neuroscience with the paranormal. Gary, you can tell, is highly educated. Uh, if you read the episode description, you can see all of his uh, accolades and education and in his books, and there's also a link to his book in there as well. So, Gary, welcome. Welcome to the show. How are you today, man? I'm great, and uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm honored. All right. I'm very happy to have you on. I guess let's get started with some of your background. What got you interested in um, in neuroscience in the first place and being a neurosurgeon? Oh, geez. Uh, we're really digging back now. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you go through, uh, when you're in medical school, you go through all sorts of incarnations of what you're going to be. And I went through a whole bunch. Uh, I started, I think, with I was going to be a family doc, and then I was going to be a cancer doc, and then I was going to be a general surgeon, then I was going to be a cardiothoracic surgeon. And that's kind of where I was set to go into training. You know, you do your residency training after medical school. but And so I had a residency all set up, and I was prepared to kind of go down the the tracks of a cardiothoracic surgeon when my last month in medical school, literally the last month, I saw my first brain operation and I literally kind of stood there in awe and went, oh my God, I've got to do that. (laughs) And uh, I mean, I had to kind of switch engines in, you know, mid in mid track and, uh, and run around the country trying to find a place that would train me. And, uh, uh, but it was it was one of those truly it was one of those I guess epiphanies where you're like I can't I can't imagine doing anything else now, and uh, and so I always tell people I I'm better lucky than smart because I had no idea what I was getting myself into and yet looking back on it all I I, I can't imagine doing anything different. 
So I lucked out, but man, it wasn't well-researched. <laughs> so going on that, what, what made you decide to start writing books? And I know you had published some stuff for educational purposes and stuff like that as well, but what started you on the path of just, you know what, I got this really great story in my head. I need to get it out on paper. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, at one level in medicine, you're always writing, you're always writing stuff, you know, you have to write about your patients, you do their histories, and you have to write about what you're thinking. So it's very, I mean, you write a hell of a lot. It's just, you know, mostly all straightforward. This patient has this, this is what I think, this is what we're going to do, that sort of things. But, you know, in that world, you see so much stuff. We were talking about the pod about, you know, some of the, the horrible stuff you see in life and some of the good stuff you see in life, but you see a lot. You see great depravity. You do see horrendous tragedy and suffering. You see amazing bravery and grace. So you're seeing all this stuff in the background. I mean, it's going on all the time around you, but we're not writing about it. We're just writing this patient has this, that, and this. I found myself wanting to get it down somewhere. And so I, I would just scribble notes periodically. And I had pieces of paper all over the house with just notes on some of the stuff I had experienced day to day. I felt like at some point, at some point, if I got a chance, I would like to at least shine a light on that world, on, on all its complexities and, and let people, you know, really experience it for themselves. So yeah, I had written three books before on burnout and, and building resilience in healthcare workers, but again, it was very straightforward and had not wandered into the fictional world. But I, I started thinking, you know, if I really want to give people a good glimpse into that world, into the world I was inhabiting, I bet you it would be much more immersive, entertaining maybe, to do it in some sort of fictional story and literally kind of try to put the scalpel in the reader's hand, uh, let the reader look at the bleeding brain and try to figure <laughs> out what the heck to do about it. And that's how I kind of got sucked into trying fiction. That is awesome. So going on that, what was the basis or the idea that spawned Death's Pale Flag? Well, it goes back to me wanting to pull the curtain back and let people see my world. But again, that, that I really wanted to do it in a fictional setting. So... <laughs> Initially, uh, initially the story was, and you know, it got a whole lot got written and then got thrown in the trash heap. <laughs> but originally, originally the the uh, was a brain surgeon again, um, but he had discovered really he had discovered a plot to knock off lead politicians and Supreme Court justices in the country <laughs> uh, through giving them aneurysms and. The neurosurgeon kind of figures it out, or at least has an inkling of it as time goes on. And of course, he meets a uh, beautiful FBI agent, and there's a romance on the side. And uh, anyway, it was trash, and uh, <laughs> and I uh, and I tossed it. But I had been immersed in the supernatural world 
the paranormal world, uh, the world of ghosts for sure, um, by my mother and grandmother growing up. Um, they were both off the boat from Scotland. And uh, I always say that, I guess I just, I think people understand when you deal with Brits, there's a much higher chance that they're they're pretty uh, welcoming or believing in, in things paranormal and supernatural. And uh, so maybe that explains it. I don't know. But they they were very much certain that uh, a different world exists, that a spirit world exists. And both had multiple experiences with uh, various types of ghosts and spirits and, and that sort of thing. And so, I mean, in my childhood, it was just, you just accepted the fact uh, that that sort of thing was happening. Now, my dad was on the complete polar opposite and uh, would shoot at it, you know, and shoot it down any chance he had and make fun of it. But, you know, it was there and ghost stories and ghost books and ghost movies were there in my uh, growing up. And I, I guess I, when the kind of uh, secret agent or FBI story w- went in the trash heap, I was thinking, well, how else can I set up a fictional story And I started thinking about just how much, even, you know, in my career and how much I was around death and death and dying and people. And in the book, I kind of talk about how it's almost like there's a bridge that people have to cross to go from the living to the dead. Uh, And we in my business are always trying to grab somebody as they're trying to cross the bridge and pull them back, if you will. And I started thinking, well, geez, you know, if there is a spirit world that that wants to interact with the world of the living, maybe people who hang around that bridge a lot uh, would be their first opportunity, first target, if you will. So maybe, you know, a neurosurgeon who's there trying to pull people back from the bridge uh, might be choice target for the spirit world to try to connect with. And that's where the story started popping up in my head. And and from there, it almost became easy from that point on, because uh, it made some it made some sense to me, at least. Absolutely. No, I couldn't agree more. And like we were talking before recording, that's what I found so fascinating, because I'm a logical guy, but I'm also into the paranormal. So it's always interesting to see work done that is associated with some type of brain activity. That's why I really enjoy when people do the Estes method doing paranormal investigations because it's just total sensory deprivation. And then you're just, your other senses are kicking. That drew me in quite a bit. Um, I can see how the book would have been easy for you to write because you're interested in the paranormal as well, but also because of your education, you had that perfect fit. But did you ever have experiences growing up or did you incorporate anything like that into the book? I personally uh, would love to, would love to have some experiences that are definitive and I know it's happening, but I would be lying to say, yes, I personally experienced this ghost or that ghost. Or I, although I, I guess for the sake of the book, I probably should say I have, but I just, you know, it just, it just is not. True. Now, my mother, on the other hand, you know, I, I mean, just full of stories and they, you know, some are pretty chilling. And she just seemed to be one of these people who, if there are people who are better receivers, if you will, it would seem to be someone like her where we would be in a in a old thing. I, I lived in England for a few years when I was a kid and would you be in some 
building her home and uh, she would say, I, I don't like this. I don't like this room or I don't like, you know, I don't like this whole building. Anyway, you, you would find out that whatever was bothering her, somebody had been murdered in or that I can I can vividly remember being in this, uh, you know, old mansion. And we walked into one room and she said, it's freezing in this room. And everybody's saying, well, no, it feels like all the rest of the place. She goes, no, it's this is this is really a freezing cold room. And we later found uh, that someone had been walled alive in that room and, you know, stuff like that. And it just one thing after another through the years. Uh, so were there any of the specific ghost stories that I, cr I created in there? No, I stole, I stole kind of a, a one from one of my brothers-in-law who, who was uh, in Vietnam and uh, he kept having a recurring nightmare after coming out of Vietnam. And I did steal a little bit of his story for that. But so, no, not specifically uh, my own experiences, but kind of morphing some of my mom's stories and other stories I've read through time. That's outstanding. So when it goes back to the logical explanations for some of the stuff that people sense or see, what is your some of your personal theories on how the brain activity is going? Like what's happening in somebody's brain? What's firing off? Because I know you probably I know you got to have some because, you know, of your profession and your background. So what, what are some of those theories when when you try to introduce the logical aspect of it? Well, that that's uh, it's a great question. That's what became I think most fun for me in some ways, and hopefully, you know, hopefully I'm teasing the readers uh, with the same sort of question and conceptualization, because, you know, you on, on one side, you can explain almost anything we experience by the brain, just as you were talking about, put somebody in a sensory deprivation chamber and all sorts of things start coming out of the brain. But we know, you know, the brain can the brain can generate for us virtually any experience. And I think the easiest way to recognize that is just think about some of your dreams. I mean, some dreams can be remarkably vivid and realistic. And, and in other dreams, you can see almost anything. Trees can dance, you know, houses can you know, move and pirouette and stuff like that. And so, you know, neurologically, the, the firing of the brain, the way the brain creates uh, images anyway, it's certainly plausible for it to create everything that the main protagonist in the book experienced. You know, that what I tried to do is give legitimate ways that it could be happening in him were it truly just based on, on his neurologic system. And so, you know, he was very sleep deprived, had history of sleep disorders where, you know, sleep was already interrupting his, his waking life. And I was kind of trying to make it so that it, it, you could explain it all by just his nervous system. But what was fun for me is to flip it the other way and say, okay, is it, his nervous system that's going a little haywire and doing this, or is he truly experiencing ghosts? And if he's truly experiencing ghosts, for what reason? And and what are they after? And what impact is it having on him? And 
how would somebody who is immersed in science react to actually coming to a conclusion that, oh my gosh, this is not a misfire. This, this is real. And so that was fun. It was a lot of fun to play with. That is outstanding. And I love how you, a little bit ago, were saying how you partly grew up for a few years over in Europe. You're very right about the fact that they are way more open to this kind of thing. And I think part of that is just because they're just way older in general, older of countries, older cultures. They had a lot more stuff going on before any of us did over here in America. But at the same time, it's just fascinating the way that people think. And I, a lot of times, because my mom is huge into the paranormal, my dad, not so much. And my mom is always saying the same things that yours did. You know, it's like, I just, I don't like this or, you know, something will happen here. Something will happen there. And my dad is just the complete opposite blue collar, go to work. What, you know, it's all in your head. I think it's fascinating too that the environment, I think, shapes a lot of people's opinions on a lot of things, obviously, that whole uh, relativism factor. So I'm happy that you wrote the book the way you did, because you break down somebody who has this background, but starts experiencing things. And like we were saying earlier, there are some things, a lot of things, you know, that, that we just don't understand or explain. When you started getting into your profession and everything, what was one of the biggest shock factors? Like after your all your whole education and you're out here in the job field, I don't want to say people's experiences or just what was going on in their head, but I guess what was just the biggest shock factor that you learned doing the job that you do and, or through the course of your education? It probably never boils down to, to one thing only, but I, I will say, you know, if you, if you want to get into the, the supernatural side of it, and it's not truly supernatural, but I'm going to call it that. But one of the things that, that shocked me and continued to shock me throughout my entire career was the unbelievable kind of bravery and grace of almost every patient I ever took care of and their families. And I took care of horribly ill patient one after another, after another, and uh, many who knew they were dying. And then many who were in coma already and their families were having to deal with these horrible things. And it is stunning how, as I said, brave and full of grace everybody always was. It really, you know, you, we live in a time right now where we, we feel like we're at each other's throat politically and all that sort of thing. And you forget just how wonderful most people are and, and uh, how when faced with some of the worst circumstances of their lives, how they can kind of raise well above just our normal functioning and and function at just a whole much more elevated level of, of humanity. So I, I, that was always remarkably inspirational and, and never ceased to amaze me. It was very inspiring. It kept you working hard to do your best for them and all. Uh, so 
uh, it's not truly supernatural, but boy, it's, you know, it's beyond my experience in the normal world where people can kind of get petty and snooty and barky <laughs> and all that sort of thing. And then you, then these people are thrust into the worst situations of their lives and they, and they just conduct themselves in a, in a way that you, you can't imagine. I, I, you know, you put me in those circumstances. <laughs> I think I'd be throwing chairs into the windows and stuff like that. Yeah, I'd be right there with you too. I don't, there's certain situations where I've had friends or family that they've gone through those situations. And I always say, Oh, you know, you handled it really well. Cause in the back of my mind, it's like, I would have, I would have totally lost it. You know, I don't even want to know what would have happened going on when you said coma though. I am curious. I've had a couple friends. I have one friend who she was in a coma for like two months. And when she woke up, she said it was like a dream. But I also know somebody else who was in a coma, and I think there is only like a couple weeks, but they said it was just black. I guess I'm really curious to ask you, what what is going on when you're in a coma, and what do you think is making people have different experiences with that? I think one of the easiest ways, let's go, let's just go purely scientific on it, because we can flip, we can flip to the other side as well. But Starting with the scientific side of it, the easiest way to see it is that coma is not uh, black and white, meaning, you know, this is all coma is one thing. It's we turn the lights completely off and and you're out of it. it. Rather than that, coma is a is a spectrum of neurological function. And for us, our main determinant as to whether you were in coma or not was whether you could follow commands, meaning we would say, Mr. Jones, show me two fingers. And if they could show you two fingers, even if they weren't talking, even if they weren't opening their eyes, what that told us is the stuff got in, they processed it, and then they acted upon it. And to us, that signified consciousness, if you will. And so you could have somebody just below that level where they're still moving about. They may even be opening their eyes, some groaning, some, or you could be totally on the other end of the spectrum where they are out. Even, a, you know, you get an EEG and nothing's going on in there. So from a scientific level, it, it is perfectly understandable that people are going to have different experiences when they're in quote coma, because some may be in a deeper coma than others. Some may be just, you know, literally one step away from death. Now, of course, you get the near death stories as well, or the people yes. who have died and come back. And there's, there actually was just a rush of reports recently of EEG recordings when people's hearts stopped and they were saying, oh, we got this burst of gamma activity or whatever. And these were the scientists trying to explain these these uh, experiences of people coming out of there going, oh, life passed before my eyes, or I went, you know, down a bright tunnel, or, well, you know, all a lot of these stories. And the scientists, of course, want an explanation, and they want to be able to say, oh, it's because of this. Now, if you flip this all to the other side, uh, because I think, you know, I mean, it's, it's one of the great mysteries of life, right? It's the one of the great things that Probably we all ask ourselves, and and at least, you know, I try to keep a very open mind about it. 
And, and that is, is there more than just these nerve cells firing on one another and releasing chemicals and all that sort of stuff? Uh, do we have a soul? Is there an us in there that isn't just the nerves communicating with one another? And so, you know, that opens a whole different line of how much of our soul needs to have the wiring working uh, or is commanding the wiring. Who knows? But it, you know, it's one of the great questions. And again, it's, I guess it's something that I like playing with because I don't know. I have no freaking clue. I sometimes am amazed at my own colleagues, if you will, the neuroscience world who want to be so sure. They want to just say, nope, it doesn't exist. It's all neurochemical. It's all this. It's all that. An afterlife can't exist. Uh, you know, we have proof. And I'm like, we have proof? What proof do we have? <laughs> um, so, I, you know, I I kind of, I was just talking to somebody today, but I, I kind of find feel like whenever somebody is absolutely certain about what goes on beyond life, for example, I, I immediately go, I, I, don't, I think you're 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 kind of creating your own little religion there as opposed to kind of keeping an open mind so a long-winded answer to your great question <laughs> but it really keys into something that fascinates me and i'm hoping that that fascinates people with the book you know is to think about yeah well is this all just the brain or are we more than that no, I love that answer because I was going to get into the near-death experiences soon after. And you are very open-minded. And that's what I love about this because I could 100% see most people in your profession being like, nope, here's what it is. This, this has to be it. And I always tell people, say I go to a haunted location and you might experience something you might not, you know, it's, or you might hear something on a recording it might be whatever you're perceiving it to say. It might actually be clear. You never know. But when I go to these places and sometimes I do uh, live shows, then I'll, I'll present a crime case, but then I'll present a paranormal case. And you can always tell the people who are there for the crime because they're like, oh, there's some guy in the basement, you know, banging on the pipes. And it's like, OK, go prove it because the burden of proof lies both ways. And that's right. why I always try to tell people. So with that being said, there was a book that I read a long, long time ago, and this guy went around and researched near-death experiences. And what he did was he spent five or six years traveling all over the world, interviewing all these people who had NDEs. And the one thing that I found fascinating and that he found fascinating was everybody's who was a religious person, no matter the religion. He said that everybody's near-death experiences was relevant to the religion that they practiced or didn't practice or whatever. And I found that extremely fascinating because that and goes back to the brain and what we believe and what's ingrained in there. So have you heard any stories like in your profession where people come back and they're like, hey, this happened or anything like that. And then what is your personal theory on that? I will say that uh, that's a, I got to kind of work my way around that one a little bit or into it a little bit. Um, 
just to go back to one one of the things uh, that you were saying, though, is I I keep going back to this idea <laughs> that science is a great thing, and we owe so much to it. You Absolutely. and I are probably alive because of science and biomedical, you know, miracles that we have of vaccines and antibiotics and all that sort of stuff. But you know, science's job is to question things. I think the mistake we sometimes make is science in science is to believe that our job is to is to create answers. I think our our job is more to ask questions yes. and try to maybe toss out certain things that that clearly aren't the situation, but I don't think it's really to come up with the absolute explanation of everything. I think we just try to approximate you know, what's going on out there. I also try to always bear in mind that the brain is a very imperfect piece of machinery in that it's not showing us everything. It, it is very selective in what it shows us. Like, I can't see infrared. I can't see ultraviolet. <laughs> you know, I it, birds can fly through a, you know, a forest and dodge every tree, you know, like that. My brain can't do that. Uh, so, we're already starting with imperfect machinery, if you will. And and therefore, I, th I think it takes so much kind of hubris to say, oh, we can explain everything and everything has an answer. Now, I, 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 I that kind of goes away from your question, but I just want to, I, I still want to put that stake in the ground that I I think it's very wise to keep an open mind about everything when we see these things. And and I was again, I was talking to a friend uh, today, but I was saying, you know, when whenever you read astrophysicist stuff, and I'm no astrophysicist, so you know, I I I can't get very deep into it. But when they start getting deep into, you know, explaining the way the universe works, and then theorizing that there could be other universes and blah blah blah, I'm just like, wow. I mean, this feels you're taking that big leap of faith too, where faith is something that, you know, you're believing in something you can't explain or you can't prove. I think they take that leap of faith uh, as well. And so again, I, I just think it's, it's always there that we're, we want explanations and we don't, we, with science, we kind of think, oh, well, we're giving the answers but I think we're just asking more and more questions. Anyway, to go back to the near-death experiences, I would tell you that unfortunately, most of our patients you know, that I had to deal with um, were badly head injured or something like that. So now you're already throwing you know, damage into the machinery. Whereas I think, I bet you a lot of these near-death experience reports do come from people where it's like their heart stops for a while or, or whatever. But, and I remember that book that you're referring to as well, but every once in a while, yeah, you would have a, a patient who would tell you about strange things that were happening while they, while they were uh, down and out uh, one way or the other. And, you know, the deep coma patients too, uh, as you were remarking, would sometimes talk about being out of their body and, and, you know, looking down at what everybody was doing. And they could freak you out a little bit sometimes uh, and tell you, you know, that they saw this or heard this and you're like, Oh, geez, I wonder how that got in there. And, <laughs> um, but, uh, but it wasn't all that common for us. And I think it probably is much more common 
where it's a cardiac problem and the brain is the brain hasn't gone through a windshield or you know uh been hit by a bullet or something like that how, that how, makes- how yeah no that makes perfect sense how long is the brain active after death well there is the, there is another question too most of the ways that you look at brain activity are are very oh what's the word i would use insensitive in that most times when you're looking at brain activity you have uh it's in the eeg and you have electrodes that you glue to the scalp and it's trying to pick up little signals you know down from in deep in the brain but all those signals they they have to get through fluid that's around the brain, a lining that's around the brain, the skull, the scalp, uh, it's got to get a long way, you know, to, to even get to those electrodes. Now, sometimes you have electrodes in the brain itself. And like I said, there's been a rush of these stories recently of, of electrodes being in the brain while somebody has gone through death. And they're showing, you know, bursts of activities and everybody's all excited about that because they think they can explain everything through that, which I don't think they can. So usually it only lasts at most for a couple of minutes. But again, you think about dreams and you could be, you know, dreams aren't necessarily in real time. It could feel like a long, long time and you may be only dreaming for a few minutes or something like that. So who knows, you know, time is, I think, probably pretty elastic in in the neurological world. But we also know that, you know, you deprive the brain of oxygen and it starts to die the cells start to die within minutes so you're not going to have a you know if there's a true heart stop nothing's getting to the brain it's not going to be going for a long time it's only going to going to be going for a, a few minutes lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office more than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. That's interesting that you brought up the concept of time, though, because that was another thing I was always curious about is the concept of time while dreaming. A lot of times, too, it's so weird. Like, I'll be having a dream, and during the dream, I'll hear 
there'll be a noise right when my alarm goes off and it's like okay did the alarm go off first and then the the concept of time in my brain just click and then kind of do a little reversal there or what but i'm glad you brought that up that was uh that was interesting i don't know i don't understand the concept of time i guess in dreaming compared to real life you know it could be two hours while you're sleeping or in the dream. And then in reality, it was like 10 minutes. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I've certainly had dreams where it goes on and on and on and on. And I, you know, it it feels like over days or or more and, you know, you know, you've only been out for a little while. (laughs) So uh, yeah, I, I definitely think, you know, we, we pace our recognition of time when we're awake, because we have all sorts of cues, we know how the day unfolds, we know what the sun is doing, you know, all that sort of thing. And so I think our brains can kind of pace time out uh, relatively well. But I think, yeah, I bet you all constraints are off once we get asleep. That's awesome. I'm no expert in that either. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just thinking out loud. I think that whole time thing is interesting too. You know, I, I, I uh, I wrote a piece and it was just a, a, a silly thinking about the way the, the world goes and how life goes or death goes. But it was about, you know, a guy who talks to God at the at the end of his life. He's dead and he gets an exit interview, if you will. And he's talking about, you know, all the human suffering that goes on and why would you allow us to suffer so much and one of the responses is, well, you know, you're measuring it by your time on earth, which seems like a long time. But if you measure that against the time of existence, you know, it becomes nothing. It becomes the blink of an eye. So, I, you know, I think time is interesting to play with as well as a concept. It certainly is. It certainly is. Like I took, I don't know, I think a, a lot of it, too, is like I get into sleep studies like not per, I have no problem sleeping, but I like seeing other people's experiences because like Salvador Dali, he used to hold a spoon over a bowl. And as soon as he would fall asleep, he would drop that spoon. And that's when he would immediately wake up and do one of his paintings. And he would base it on whatever he saw, like right before he hit that REM or whatever his deal was. And I always found that really fascinating just when you're on the brink of sleeping, what your brain is going through compared to, you know, a 20 minute nap or something like that. Yeah. The, uh, I've, I've never heard that story. So that's really fascinating, but you're right. I, uh, so uh, there is sleep pathology in this book for sure. And, and that got in there because I had it myself. And then my sons, a couple of my sons, have had a version of sleep pathology. So I had I had something called night terrors, and my sons had uh, sleep paralysis, where you you know you you wake up and you can't move, and you feel like usually there's an evil presence in the room, and you yeah. uh, and you can't move, and it's terrifying, and you have to kind of tell yourself, well, try to move a pinky at least, and you know break your way out of out of that sleep paralysis. But uh, I, I know with with my when I was having that stuff, you're right. It was just as I was falling asleep. I could, you know, sometimes you could feel dreams just like accelerate. They just kind of burst in at that at that moment. 
So yeah, it's a dreaming and and sleep is fascinating. And talk about something that science has really not got worked out well at all. <laughs> uh, so again, I was talking to a, a neuroscientist friend of mine a month or two ago about that, and just saying why why are we so far behind in that and not really you know not really getting deep into it. But uh, it is fascinating. That's why I always like the, the Tesla quote. I can't remember exactly how it went, but he says, when we start uh, looking at and trying to figure out more non-physical things, he's like, we'll make more progress in 10 years than we have in 10 lifetimes. And it's like, I always found that pretty fascinating, especially coming from Tesla. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I was going to I was going to ask you about the whole sleep paralysis thing as well. And obviously you have I know somebody who she would just constantly talk about it. But when she would be in sleep paralysis, she would claim to see uh, shadow figures. Yes. And all of that. Now, my whole thing is there was a study that was done in Switzerland, I believe. And these doctors got this girl and sleep deprived her and hooked her up to all this stuff. And they actually created in her brain, a shadow figure. I believe the PDFs for the study are all still online and available for free, but I always found that super fascinating because I did an episode on shadow people and I know sleep deprivation plays a huge factor because you have, um, (laughs) unfortunately I had to use as an example, some people who, you know, do harder drugs who don't sleep for Mm -hmm. a few days, you know, and they go through that. But those people aside, you have people all around the world for a couple hundred years who have all described basically the same thing. And I didn't know if that would be a common thing in everybody's brain or if it might be something more than that. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's hard to say there, there when when people have, you know, the bona fide sleep paralysis that shadowy figures or frightening figures are very common. But again, we can, you know, we can play with that. Uh, it, and when I say play with it, I don't mean, you know, just be frivolous. I mean, you know, it's it's fun to think about when you again mix the spiritual with the uh with the scientific world. But I, I was thinking about earlier when you were talking about the people of of Europe and Britain and culturally, they're much more accepting. They're much less likely than like my dad, who would just say, oh, it's just BS. Why are we <laughs> why are we wasting our, a minute on this? Um, but, you know, you tell somebody like in the book, you know, the guy is the guy's wife is really upset with him. Uh, and and he's worried that, you know, if. If I'm truly seeing things or if I'm seeing things, should I be, you know, taken out of work? And in Europe, if you say, you know, I've been seeing ghosts, they're like, oh, yeah, well, that's cool. I wish I did, too, you know. (laughs) But but I was thinking as you're talking about that. And again, if you wanted to play that science versus spirituality, maybe you could make an argument about just how sensitive is somebody to things that are are not clearly being experienced by everybody. So like we were saying, my mom, you know, if if you were to believe her, she's pretty sensitive to, uh, you know, what goes on in haunted houses and stuff. And there, there are some stories that can curl your toes on on it. And, and I have to say, you know, you were asking, have I had a, a true experience? And I, and I haven't had an, anything overt. 
but it, you know, every once in a while, we'll visit a place like Gettysburg. I don't know yeah. if you've ever been to Gettysburg. And I get weird feelings when I'm standing there, you know, on the field of Pickett's Charge or at Little Round Top. And, and you know, is that just because I, I love history so much and you've know, read that stuff a million times? I had a similar feeling in, on Omaha Beach. Or is, are you know, are you picking up something? And if you were more sensitive, would you pick up even more, you know, more of that something? So anyway, you, you know, it's interesting at least to challenge yourself with that, even if you want to take the pure scientific and just explain it all away. I think it's fun to look on the other side of that. The other thing I tried to do with the book, for example, was ask the reader to think about, well, okay, let's say, let's say the, the paranormal is real. Let's say the ghosts are real. What in this, what is actually more frightening in this? Is it the paranormal or is it the normal stuff that the, uh, the protagonist is seeing every day there in the trauma bays and, and hearing all the stories that the, the patients have gone through? That was another, another <laughs> thing that I kind of wanted to have people consider. Yeah. And you actually uh, just answered one of my questions I was going to ask is, I know you didn't have any experiences, but I was going to ask if there was any places that you've that you've gone to that you could just, you know, felt a little bit differently and, you know, maybe displaced energy or whatever it might be. I mean, obviously, we don't know, but Gettysburg would probably be a huge one. because I'm a huge history guy, too. And uh, my dad's been to Gettysburg a few times. And I personally have not been there yet. Uh, I plan on going probably uh, early, earlier next year in the spring and stuff. Cause I want to make like a whole week of it. I don't just want to go for a few days cause there's just too many things there. And it's the historical significance is amazing, but I also am probably going to do the ghost tours. <laughs> gotta, of course. <laughs> I got to do all that stuff, but yeah, I could see if there's, if there's anywhere that's on it. I, I mean, Gettysburg. Oh man, just a crazy non-American listeners. I've talked about stuff like that before and they always find the wild West fascinating. I come to find that out. A lot of my friends from England and Australia yes. always find the wild West just so fascinating. And I wonder episodes. why we're not wearing spurs. <laughs> I know. And I've done episodes on like Billy, the kid and, uh, you know, Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday and stuff like that. And those episodes, there's nothing real mysterious about it. Well, some of them are actually, because I like to find out if the if the stories are true. I try to lock them down with more than one source, whether it be newspaper, preferably not word of mouth. But if you have six people who were there and all said the same thing, I try to take that as as fact. But um I just get into history and, and people like that's lives. It's like, what made them larger than life? And it seems like Gettysburg is just an entire place that's larger than life for people outside of America. It's hard for them to conceive what happened during the civil war and how many people died. And then the whole thing at Gettysburg and other battlefields. And I tell people, I'm like, you can go to old battlefields. And I say, you take a metal detector out there. <laughs> you know, you're yeah. going to, you're going to find yeah. stuff. And you live in an area that's probably pretty rich in Civil War history as well, I would imagine. <laughs> uh, not, not as much. I, now I live, uh, I live in the mountains of North Carolina. But even when we were in Roanoke there, we were just a little ways away from the, you know, the big Shenandoah Valley campaign area. And 
but it was all easy striking distance. Uh, we were also in DC for quite a while. And I mean, easy as pie to get at to, uh, quite a few battlefields and uh, Antietam and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. But for whatever reason, Gettysburg was one that, you know, again, every time I've been there, I've been there several times. I do feel something. It, 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 what is it? I don't know. I, what's the closest you come or how? what's the most you felt? Oh, man. I felt a lot. So <laughs> I uh, I went and stayed at a place back in 2019 uh, called called the Sally House, and it's supposedly a renowned haunted location. This is this is the context, because when I uploaded an episode a couple months ago or actually a few months ago now, and it's it's all it's titled is my night at the Indiana State Sanatorium and Historically speaking, the Indiana State was a TB hospital for a super long time. After that, it was an assisted living facility for old people. And back then, let's say if you were a single parent and you got TB, then unfortunately, your kid had to go live at the hospital with you. So they had a little wing for people's kids, and then they would end up getting tuberculosis, and then they would die too. So just hundreds of deaths over the course of you know 60 70 80 years so that being said i stayed at this place back in 2019 and we went down into the basement where it's supposedly one of the most haunted spots and i'm a big person on research so when i stay at a haunted location i always do the research i do a little bit of research before but then i do a lot of research after Because I kind of want to go in blind. I want to see what I experience, see if anything even happens, see if I can get any audio on a a digital recorder or anything like that. And then I'll go back and do the heavy research. It's like, okay, we heard all the ghost stories. Mm -hmm. This is what I caught on audio. When I do that, I go back and look at census records. I see news. I look for newspaper articles on any deaths that might be associated with the property and stuff like that. And I try to match up that with ghost stories. And there's been a couple places that people have asked me to stay or go. And I'll, I'll do a little bit of light research. And I'm like, you know, there's a story of a boy getting burned. A spark came out of the fire and, you know, he burned and now you can hear his voice and it's like happened in, I don't know, the 1920s. So I'll look at it and I'm like, okay, there's got to be a newspaper article. It's got to be census records about a little boy that lives there. There's nothing, you know, I, there's past residents that lived in the house that said, yeah, this place was never haunted. All of a sudden these people bought it and now it's haunted and they're charging somebody a hundred bucks a night to stay there. So I I take a lot of that into consideration. Now with the Sally house, it was, it was an interesting exception because the whole theory behind the little girl Sally is that it's not actually a little girl. It's supposedly, it could possibly be a um, darker entity, something non-human that's projecting itself as a little girl. Now, like I said, I'm a huge skeptic. I'm very logical about stuff, but I'm also very open-minded and I get in a lot to the, to the paranormal side of stuff. So when we went there, I stayed, ended up staying the entire night. We had uh, a live show in Atchison, Kansas that weekend. We did a whole weekend of events and uh, me and another podcaster and his wife, we all got to stay the night. We did a contest to have one of our, one of our listeners get to stay the night there with us 
So we had a couple weird experiences because I would go down there and I was, sometimes I like to poke the bear. If it's supposedly a haunted (laughs) place, I'm going to poke the bear. So I'm down in the basement. It was weird because we were using what they call a geo port. So it's kind of like a spirit box, except it's more clear. You don't hear the white noise or anything like that. And we're using this and I'm basically talking a lot of crap about the previous doctor who lived there. And I'm saying, you know, I don't think these people accidentally died in your care. I think you did it on purpose, yada, yada, yada. And, you know, we had a darker voice come through. Somebody had mentioned like beside me, they're like, man, you got to stay here tonight. Like, why are you doing this? <laughs> and, and this voice comes through the box at that exact time. And it says, good luck. And then it just starts <laughs> laughing. And I'm like, okay, that was weird. You know? So now, did you, you heard it then? Yeah, and there? everybody okay. heard it. It was, uh, we, there was about five people down there at the time. And after that happened, about three of them went upstairs and they're like, no. <laughs> and I, I'll admit I, it creeped me out a little bit. I was like, okay, that was kind of odd timing. That was weird. But I mean, it was saying the color, uh, one of the hosts, uh, Tracy, she has super bright neon pink hair and, uh, we were asking it you know, Hey, what color is Tracy's hair? And it came through and it said pink clear as day. And it's like, all right, that's interesting. So over the course of the night, after everybody leaves, there's only like four or five of us who are, who are staying the night in this house. Everybody falls asleep. The next morning I wake up and I'm on the back porch of this place and I'm smoking a cigarette. And one of the, the listener who won the contest, her name is Cammy. She goes, she's out back smoking a cigarette and she just looks terrified. And I'm, I'm like, are you all right? And she's like, I am really, really far from all right right now. And I'm like, well, what happened? She goes, I got up to go to the bathroom last night. I don't remember anything after that. All I remember is waking up upstairs on, on an air mattress in between Jerry and Tracy, who were the other hosts. And she had no memory of any of this at all. You know, I'm, I'm like, all right, well, that's kind of, you know, kind of weird. So we start looking through this book that they have on the table where everybody writes down experiences they had or how they liked the house and all that. And we come to find out that there were a lot of instances where people just lost time and had no memory of it at all in this house. Now, Jerry's side of the story was that he wakes up and it's almost about 3 a.m., And he goes, yeah, man, I wake up and at the foot of my bed, Cammie's just standing there, just still with her hair, just looking down her hair all in front of her face. And he says she didn't move muscle for like 10 minutes. She just stood there. And then all of a sudden she crawled in, crawled in between us. And she, he goes, the thing is she's face to face with me and she's staring me dead in the face and her, I mean, she's not blinking. It's just a dead cold stare, dude. Like, so he rolls over and he's like, I'm just going to try to force my eyes closed and just ignore this situation right now. But the kicker was when he woke up, I think it's like five, six hours later, he said he turns back over and she is still in that same exact position with her eyes open, staring at him right when he's about ready to freak out. He said she blinks her eyes and like kind of looks around like she didn't know how she got there. She didn't know what was going on and she freaked out. And that's when about the time I woke up and we were out on the back porch. So that was definitely an interesting 
experience. I personally didn't really experience much. I was hoping to. Uh, I did get creeped out a couple of times. I will openly admit that. But fast forward to uh, last year, last summer, I went and stayed at that uh, Indiana State Sanatorium. So we're doing little EVP sessions, trying to record some audio. Now, my friend Cammy just happens, she flew in from Washington State and stayed the whole weekend, and she ended up uh, going there with us that night. So that being said, we're in a group of like three or four people, and we got this spirit box out. This thing keeps set, asking me to walk down certain hallways. So we ask, we're like, you know, why do you like Justin so much? And this voice comes through, and it says, uh, because of his soul. Everybody, you know, is like, oh, man, that was weird. I asked the question, hey, do you know me? Like, how do you know me? And it sounded like two people talking to each other. One of them says to the other one, it's Justin from Sally's house. That right there, (laughs) Cammy is like, oh, man, it's just it's weird because the only two people in our group that knew I had gone there and done all this. And what happened was my buddy uh, Chuck and my friend Cammy, and those two are like, okay, it just got a little bit weird. And that's why I always point out to people, if there's a guy in the basement with a microphone saying things, how did he know that, you know, go down there and prove it to me, show me this guy doing this. And I understand a lot of the uh, words might be, you know, programmed into a box. That's another thing. It's like, Oh yeah, they program words or names and stuff like that into there. And sometimes it gets lucky and sometimes it doesn't. But when that audio came through clear as day, that right there was probably one of the more interesting experiences I have had for sure. And I've had, uh, I've had a couple growing up as well. Uh, There was an instance where uh, I think I was like 18 or something like that. And I used to have one of those older buddies. I was friends with uh, these two brothers and one was older. The other one was in my grade and the older one, he'd always buy me some beer and stuff like that. So he comes over and it's like a Saturday and he comes over and it's, you know, two, three o'clock in the afternoon. He's like, Hey man, going over to my girlfriend's house. She's got a younger sister. Like, let's grab some beers. I'm like, all right, cool, man. So above the, uh, the kitchen was, was my mom's bedroom and we could hear clear as day, the voice come out and it was my mom's voice. And it said, it said, don't go. I need you to stay. I, I got stuff for you to do. I need you to stay here. And my buddy heard it clear as day too. And he's like, oh man, he's like, he's like, that sucks. I'm like, yeah, it does. So he ends up leaving and I go into uh, the house and I'm just doing dishes, kind of doing some chores. We all had chores growing up. So uh, about an hour later, my mom and stepdad pull into the driveway there. I'm like, oh, that's weird. I didn't even see him leave. And she comes in. I'm like, when did you guys leave? Like, I've been in the kitchen for the last hour, hour and a half, and I heard you upstairs. And she goes, we've been gone all day. You know, we were um, at my stepdad's uh, family a couple towns over. She's like, we've been gone all day. We just got back. And I'm like, okay, well, that's weird because I just, I heard your voice like an hour ago telling me to stay home. And right about then, the phone rings, and it's my buddy's younger brother, the one who's in my grade. And he says, hey, man, Ryan got in this wreck. I'm coming to pick you up. We got to go like to the ER. Like, let's go. 
so we end up going to the ER and my mom being who she is, she's like, Oh, that's a sign. You know, the angels told you to stay home and da da da. And I'm trying to like logically explain this in my mind. I'm like, I was like, I know I heard her voice. And to this day, my buddy Ryan, it still does not believe it. He's like, dude, I heard your mom. And I'm like, I know me too. I don't understand it. And my mom is super into the paranormal. So she's, she's all about that. But um, yeah, we, we got to the ER and what happened was one of his tires blew and uh, he crossed center and hit an embankment. His car rolled end over end three or four times. The only thing that saved his life was that he didn't have a seatbelt on. And to this day, he will not wear a seatbelt because of that. Uh, because they said if he would have been wearing a seatbelt, it more than likely would have uh, twisted and uh, decapitate, decapitated him. Now, the, when we were there, they were like, because me and me and Justin were kind of talking about how I was supposed to be in the car. And the, uh, what is it, the fire and rescue, the first responders are like, man, it's a good thing you weren't in that car, dude. There's no way like anybody else would have survived. He's lucky to be alive right now. So that that one kind of stuck with me quite. Yeah, quite that'll a while. <laughs> that one stuck with me. But other than that, man, it's just uh, you know small occurrences. I love I love exploring haunted places partly because I love I don't know why I love abandoned places. Just seeing what everybody left behind and just kind of exploring. And even if nothing happens, I'm still happy because most of the time you're in an old historical building of some sort. That's that's pretty cool and pretty fun, but. Yeah, those are a couple couple of my rides right there. So, yeah, those know. are pretty good rides. The, the closest <laughs> the closest I ever came again is my mom was definitely a, a strong believer, and um, when we were living in England, we would pull out the Ouija board, and the, the Ouija board would. My I had two sisters, and my mother and I. First, my dad again thought we were nuts one night. <laughs> one night it was storming and raining and we're doing the Ouija board and you know it's kind of spooky when it gets moving and all of a sudden my my dad had snuck outside he was right next to the window to the room and blew a harmonica made us all jump about <laughs> in the air but anyway we one time we were we were there and and the thing kept saying kill the cat kill the cat kill the cat and uh, we we were well. That's not nice. We're not, we're not going to talk if, if we're going to have that go down. But a couple of days later, we had a cat, and the cat was hit by a car and killed. So we never wow. pulled, never pulled out the Ouija board again. <laughs> <after> <laughs> that one. That is intense, though. That's wild. <laughs> so oh, that man. was the closest I came. But I tell uh, you what, though, that's. That would probably scare me straight right there. It's that's weird. That's wild. I, love I tell the the story that my mom, uh, she she was in, she was Scottish, but they had moved to England, and they, um, she was there in World War Two. You know, as everywhere is getting bombed, and oh yeah, um, she used to go to seances, and at the seances, the medium sometimes would kind of list people from the area who were going to die like within the next week. I don't know how they did it, you know, a teleprompter or something, but she always swore that they were remarkably accurate. But in one of the seances, they or one of the mediums told her that 
she, my mom had a guardian angel. She could see the guardian angel and it would steer mm. her clear. So anyway, my mom was in a movie theater one night and an air raid started and they always, she said they would stop the movie, flash up on the screen, stay where you are, don't go out, you know, where you could get hit by rubble and stuff like that. And she swears she heard a voice that said, you know, get out of here. And she left and the place was hit, took a direct hit and many people in it were killed. So she wow. had her experiences for sure. Wow. That sounds I bet she had some good stories. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah I remember uh, not too much on the paranormal side, but my grandma's from uh, La Havre, France. She came over uh -huh. in the early fifties and world war two stories are what I grew up on. Cause yeah, yeah it's a uh, La Havre is a port city there. So Nazis wanted it pretty bad. Yeah. It's, I grew up hearing about all that stuff too. And I mean, it's just right there. It's not too far from Normandy either. So yeah, right. she grew up around that, and I couldn't imagine growing up like that, to be honest with you. Yeah, a whole different experience. So I guess the poor Ukrainians are are experiencing that yeah. for sure. Yeah, they um, are. But uh, no, and that's why I say, I mean, same here. I so you know, it, my my boyhood was ghosts and World War II. I mean, that's that's basically <laughs> all I spent time with, and. Uh, that's why getting to Omaha Beach was very important to me. And oh yeah. Um, and again, it was one of those places where it felt like you could feel the history coming out of the ground. I don't I don't know if it's just because it's so ingrained or what, but <laughs> definitely could feel that. Well, I tell you what, Gary, if you could tell anybody randomly about your book and why it's so good and why they should read it, what would you tell them? I think the thing that I would want to sell the most is that it's kind of a mystery uh, for you to think about this guy who's surrounded a lot by death and dying and is clearly stressing out, but he begins to see ghosts. And, and my question for the reader is, are they real or is, is his brain starting to fry out? Yep, and you have the perfect background to break it down and make it way more interesting too. And I'll be honest, it's it's hard for me to get into books sometimes, but this one was pretty easy because it sparked my interest. As I've I've stated a few times, I I get into the logical factor, and I'm always curious about the brain factor. So I'm very happy that you were open to talking about you know coma, near death experiences, and shadow people, and all that stuff too. And I know my listeners are really going to love this interview. And again, Death's Pale Flag, just type it in. You can order it anywhere. I will put a link to the book in the episode description, along with posting that on social media as well. And Gary, I can't, I appreciate you coming on, man. This was awesome, dude. I love talking to you. Yeah, this is, this has been fantastic. And I, I mean, that's really the main reason why I wrote the book was I'm, I was hoping to have these types of conversations with people. I, I hope it opens the door to talk to a, a lot of people and and uh, hear what they their experiences are and what they think uh, and go from there. But I yeah. am very appreciative of, of you doing this for me. And oh, man, I get into this stuff. <laughs> I'm a very curious <laughs> individual. I wanted to know about all kinds of stuff. So this was an easy, easy one for me. And I mean, I'm, I apologize about the scheduling 
we were supposed to do this interview a couple of weeks ago and um, my son plays travel baseball and they have those freaking pop-up tournaments every now and then. And that Saturday was one of them. I'm like, ah, it's like, I want to talk to this guy so bad. It's like, but I, I'm always a father before anything else. So try to well, try to, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's great that you're doing. I have three sons, so I know exactly <laughs> what you're going through. Yeah. I got two of them and one's, one's a nerd who never wants to do anything. He just reads articles and is into the same stuff that I'm into, but then I'm also into sports pretty heavy and my other son is a jock. So it's like, I kind of get the best of both worlds there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I kind of had a similar mix in, in some ways, Uh, you know, one was down in the basement with chemistry sets and building rockets and all that sort of stuff, which we got into as well, which was a lot of fun. So they're all great. Every one of them is, is great. Um, Yeah. You should check out that, uh, that sleep study. I believe, like I said, it was from Switzerland it's it's fairly recent but yeah they they had that girl and they simulated uh, a shadow person i don't know you might find that pretty interesting i would are you saying they kind of developed the picture from brain waves because i know there's there's so they yeah they took her in and they deprived her of sleep and they had all the stuff that's hooked up to your brain and i guess after a few days she said that she was seeing shadow people and they just studied it. It was it's wild. All the papers should be readily available online still. Because I was yeah, reading a PDF, and there was a lot of talk in there that I that was way above my head. But it was just the fact that they did it. You know, it's like holy crap! They actually did something to somebody to where she was seeing shadow figures after a couple of days. And yeah, it's, it was an interesting little study there. Yeah, I I definitely want to see that. You know, we had mentioned, but I just as a quick aside, it my whole life was sleep deprivation. We we were on call every third or fourth night for my entire career. And when we were on call at these trauma centers, you're you're pretty much up all night. So you're you're just (laughs) constantly sleep deprived. but uh, in the end, for me, it manifested as these night terrors. Um, but, you know, where you wake up screaming, but you don't remember anything. So it was more disruptive for my wife than it was. <laughs> I don't know. Anything. It's like, I don't know what you're talking about, babe. <laughs> All right. Well, Gary, you are welcome on anytime you want. Just get a hold of me and we can talk about all kinds of stuff. Because you're, like I said, a very interesting guy to talk to. And I'm glad that you're also an open-minded individual. So, Well, say the word. I'm, I'd be delighted to come back. But I'll, I, I'll see if I can track down that, uh, that study because that sounds fascinating. That sounds yeah. fun. It shouldn't be too hard. If I can find it, I'm sure you can. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, Gary, you have a great Saturday. Enjoy the rest of your day. And thank you very, very much for coming on. Uh, you too. And, and by the way, good luck with, uh, future baseball tournaments. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate it. We need it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I will talk to you later, sir. Take care.